Hello, my spooky friends, and welcome back to another spooky episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I am Chappie. I'll be your host. And without further ado, let's get started. All right, our first story comes to us submitted by one of our listeners. Um, This one is called The Shadow Man. Since my son was little, he has claimed that he sees a shadow person. I lived next door for about five years, and he talked about a shadow person nonstop. I became friends with the neighbor over time, and I ended up buying his house. I've been in the new house for about three years, and my son claims he still sees a shadow person. He said he sees it. He's he's seen it walk across the kitchen window, outside, and he sees it sometimes outside of his bedroom. I asked him once, "Is it a boy or a girl?" And his response was, "I don't know. It's just a shadow person." I have a daughter who is seventeen, and I heard a big bang in her bedroom. I hesitated and asked, "Is everything okay?" There was no answer. A few minutes later, I heard my daughter say, well, "What the heck?" She went in her room, and her room was destroyed, and no one was even in there. Her glass piggy bank was smashed on the floor. She has very thick, thick carpet, and her hanging mirror was lifted off of the nail in the wall and was lying face down on the floor. We were baffled, but I helped her clean it. About an hour later, she went back into her room, and her curtains were ripped off the window. My bedroom is downstairs. I woke up about 3 a.m. to get some water. I walked over to turn my light on. I looked up the stairs, and there was a shadow peeking at me around the corner. I shut the light off, crawled back in bed, and was seriously scared. My husband said, I thought you were thirsty. I replied, there's a shadow standing at the top of the steps. He got up and searched the whole house, but he found nothing. The next morning, I had my son... That I'm nine, I told my son that I'm 99% sure that I had seen the shadow person. His response was, I told you. I always figured that it was just watching over my son, keeping an eye on him. My daughter said that she has never seen it. Did it trash her room? I believe that when I spotted it, it knew I was up and was checking on me. Should I be worried? My son is 11 now, and he still talks about the shadow person but not as much as he did when he was younger. Sorry, this is so long. Just looking for some advice. Oof. My gosh, another Shadow Man story. I tell you, that's most of what we have on this Shadow Man stories. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that story. All right, let's get into our next one. All right, this comes to us from Reddit. It's submitted by Ellie. They notice when we notice. When I was at uni, there used to be a tree right outside my dorm room window that was really large and gave the impression it's been there a really long time. My bed was right by that window, so I could see that the tree, I could see that tree all the time. I'm also almost always left alone in that room because I had a lot of schoolwork to do, and my roommates would only stay there from Tuesday night until Friday morning, then go back to their hometowns for the weekend. 
I live very far away, so I'd just stay. Whenever I was alone, I'd get really bad dreams, experience sleep paralysis more than usual, and just generally get a creepy, I'm not really alone type of vibe. Once, I was going on a date with a guy, and he picked me up from the dorm. On the way to our date, we passed by my window and the tree, and I pointed both out to him and jokingly telling him, there's something weird about that tree. He shrugged, and we went on with our walk. A few blocks down, he told me something. He told me something does live in that tree. He says he's been sensing all kinds of supernatural things since he was a kid, and he could feel something staring at us from the tree as we passed. I felt creeped out, but he reassured me it meant no harm, and even seemed to have an affinity for me, or rather, indifferent. So we went on our date, and when it was time to take me back to the dorm because my 10 p.m. curfew, we walked back the same route. I was leading the way because he didn't go to that uni and didn't know his way around campus. A few blocks left, and he stopped me and asked if we were getting close. I said yes, just about a couple blocks. He said, oh, that's why. Because he could feel that whatever lived in the tree outside my window was angry at him. We were two blocks away. It creeped me out that he knew. I asked how he knew, and he said because he could just feel it and it was scaring him. I felt his arm, and he had goosebumps all over. He wasn't making it up. We continued to walk, all the while he took care to avoid the shadows cast by the trees in our path, as if he was afraid of going near whatever those were that only he could see. <laughs> I eventually got back to my dorm, all right. We had to pass the tree outside my window again, but we went across the street, so we weren't so close to it. But I didn't sleep so well for a while after that. Later, when I asked him why the thing was so angry, he says it's because he pointed out its existence to me. And they didn't like that. They didn't like when we noticed. And they noticed we noticed. I, live in that, I lived in that dorm for several months after that without incident, trying to keep secure in what he said that it was indifferent to me. Although, I never spent the weekend alone there ever again. <laughs> Very cool story, Ellie. Alright, next story. My second cousin's real imaginary friend. It's another submitted story from Reddit. Most people have had an imaginary friend at some point in their lives. My second cousin has one too. I'm 18 now, and this happened when I was about 13 years old. I was watching over my 7-year-old second cousin, I'll call him Thomas in this story, for a few hours because his parents were busy. I was watching TV, and Thomas was playing right next to me. He asked me if I would play with him, so I turned off the TV and sat on the ground next to him. I asked him what we were playing, but I can't remember what he told me but it was something normal that a seven-year-old boy would play. Then he asked if his friend Noah could join us. I told him we would have to ask his and Noah's parents. He asked me why he's already here, and he pointed at the wall. <laughs> I then understood he was talking about an imaginary friend. 
We played for a while without anything special happening, but Thomas then looked across the room at an antique vase they had and said, no, don't touch that vase. Mom likes it and wouldn't want it to break. I was a bit confused and asked him what he meant. He told me that Noah was touching the vase and just told him not to touch it so it wouldn't break. Maybe 10 seconds go by and I hear something break. I look around and saw the vase was on the ground and broken. I was shocked. I almost couldn't move at all. I stared at the broken vase for almost a minute. I turned to the floor, or I turned to look at Thomas and asked him what was going on and how the heck the vase just fell on the floor. As I was faced to Thomas, I swear I could see out of the corner of my eye one of the shards of the vase rise into the air, but was too scared to turn my head and look. Thomas then quickly said, I was his friend and he can't harm me. And at that point, I had to turn and thank God I didn't see any shards floating in the air. I then collected all the pieces of the vase and left the house with Thomas, went to the park, and came back when his parents had come back home. I had a lot of trouble trying to explain to his parents how the vase broke. Either Thomas had a really scary friend, or it was a crazy coincidence. I'm forever convinced. Oof, that is a scary one. Kids always, kids always say that they see stuff, though. Like, they are always being like, look there. <laughs> that man is staring at me. <laughs> You're like, shut up. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be one of those parents that's like, okay, why are you telling me? God. <laughs> But, as is the case with most imaginary friends, it tends to go that they, you know, kids and animals can see stuff that we can't. <laughs> now, I'm clairvoyant and clairaudient and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, sometimes I see stuff without trying to, and it really freaks me out. And when I was a kid, I used to tell my parents stuff all the time, like hey, that man sleeping right there or that person right there in the hallway, and they would be like, Andrew, just be quiet. <laughs> Go somewhere and play with your Legos. <laughs> All right, I digress. Let's go to our next story. All right, the tree on the side of the road. Again, this one comes from Reddit. Okay, here's another one. Not that creepy, just weird. I moved to a 1,700-acre farm in the province of Limpopo after my stay in the Kruger National Park as a game ranger. On this farm, I looked over the animals, caravan park, and lodge. No harmful animals willingly kept on the property. Essentially, a mini game preserve where people could walk and cycle and enjoy life in the bush for a vacation. The reserve is a small, outdated mining town where young people never stay and old people live long. There are workers who stay on the property. The day I arrived to the reserve was normal except for one thing. It was 10 a.m. and about 40 kilometers before entering the town's main road. I noticed there was a fairly large marula tree lying on the side of the road, as if someone had just plucked it out of the ground with no issues. 
Lots of locals standing around staring, some not entertaining it. I had to rub my eyes and focus on the road. I thought not, nothing much of it. Just thought the wind blew it over. Must have been rotting at the roots. A few months ago, life on the reserve, or a few months go by, life on the reserve is great. I get to paintball troublesome baboons and monkeys and just overall get in touch with the wildlife. I even had a few that I got to see regularly. I even got a tame ostrich that would always be near, nearby the cottage. I hear one of the staff mention that the tree that I saw, but not under circumstances that I knew. In this case, the guy was talking about his vision going blurry every time he drives past that tree. Come to think of it, I didn't have trouble with clear vision, but I played it down, coincidence. A week or so later, I drove to town outside of this one to get some supplies for this town Did, that they didn't have, and I didn't even think about that tree. I got the supplies I needed and came back, and then I noticed the tree again, only this time it was planted back like normal like it had never been on its side, rotting. I thought I obviously had a different tree in my mind. A week later, I see the tree again, but this time it's planted upside down. The roots are in the air, branches in the ground, dirt all around as if it was recently moved. Now I think I'm losing my mind. The tears well up in my eyes and I'm just creeped out, but I keep driving to the other little town. I come back and the whole stretch of road, my vision was getting blurry and I wanted to see that tree. But this time I couldn't see with HD vision until I turned a corner. Now when I visit, the tree doesn't even exist. The staff on the property told me that it's the local witch doctor showing his authority to the locals by how much power he has. He would speak to the tree and it would uproot itself. Then he'd tell it to replant itself. They told me the witch doctors even have the power to summon things out of nowhere and places, place things randomly. The locals don't go near that spot where the tree was. They say it's cursed. Very cool. Very, very cool. I don't know. I like that. Um, so each time she went by this tree, it was on its side right side up and then upside down all planted in different positions so that's crazy all right on to the next story this one is called possible wendigo sighting it's another reddit submitted i think i saw a wendigo when i was eight so I shared on Missing411, another Reddit, a strange event that happened to me when I was 10 with my cousin. I told the commenters that I have two other events that happened to me when I was younger and that I would share them in the subreddit instead as it makes more sense to put it in the paranormal. As always, I'm sharing this story in hopes of debunking people with similar experiences and gain a new perspective and knowledge. My cousins, Tyler and Mikey, and I were over at our grandparents' house. I was eight, Tyler was eight, and Mikey was five or six. I don't remember the time of the year this happened. Definitely wasn't winter. 
but could have been late spring to early fall. We always played in the woods at Grandma's house. She lived in a nice log cabin and had a chicken coop with lots of chickens, and a little pond with koi, fish, and frogs. Foxes and coyotes would often kill her chickens that got loose, but we live in a part of America that doesn't have wolves. Coyotes are as large as it gets, but if you go upstate a bit, you'll find black bears, but not down here. So Tyler and Mikey and I set off to play in the woods. It's really small patch of woods. My grandfather mowed the lawn in the woods and would clear out large spaces and a big trail for us to follow. The trail led straight through the woods. And there was one side path that led from the chicken coop into the woods, but we rarely used that way. I have 17 cousins on that side of the family alone, and we'd often have campouts with my aunts and uncles in this area. My grandparents' neighbors owned a large horse ranch that follows the perimeter of the woods. Bear with me. I'm trying to describe the environment and layout as best as possible. The neighbor's house was far, far back from the main road, and they had a long paved driveway that led up to their house. The horse pens didn't start until you got to the end of the woods on my parents' grandparents' property. Oftentimes, my cousins and I would venture through the woods and exit through a passageway that led out to the neighbor's horse fence. We'd follow the perimeter of the horse fence and then hit their driveway and walk that back home. All in all, is about a 10-minute walk with little kid stubby short legs. The exit of the woods that led to the horse fence right before the woods ended is another trail that shoots straight down a hill like super steep. And you can see from the top of this trail where the trail ends. It eventually becomes just woods. And at the bottom of the hill is a stream. We never went this way because it seemed like a lot to walk, but I guess this day we felt old enough to venture down to it. So think, this trail meets the trail that leads to the horse fence and the trail back to my grandparents, another three-way intersection. This one is shaped more like a T than a Y though. So after playing in the stream for a while, we walk back up the hill, exhausted. We see in the brush straight ahead of the T intersection, a creature that looks like a deer, but also a wolf. This thing had tan brown fur fangs that were snarling at us, and a set of antlers. I couldn't see its torso beneath the shrubbery, but I did see it had arms and that were held at its breast. Think like a T-Rex arms. That was the angle. So tell me how this thing starts freaking hopping, following the trail. It was off in the brush, though not directly on the trail, back to my grandparents. This thing must have been six feet tall, including the antlers. I just want to say, my dad is a hunter. I've grown up around deer, gone hunting with my father, lived on old farms my whole life. The first time I gutted an animal was a squirrel when I was four. My dad taught me. I know what a deer looks like. I know what they look like when they jump. <laughs> I know that a deer... I know that deer have hooves and not claws, or feet like a kangaroo. I know that deer don't have fangs. When it hopped, I could see its feet. They were long and flat, just like a kangaroo. And when it jumped, they pointed straight down. If you go on Google and type in the word Wendigo, 
The picture that it shows is a deer-wolf hybrid cartoon that made to look like a zombie. I mean, that's exactly what the body looked like, minus the zombie flesh. And its arms weren't that long. Like, it just looked like an animal. A strange animal I'd never seen before, but if it was a registered mammal, I would have would not have thought twice about seeing it. Like, look guys, a Wendigo, how cool. <laughs> My cousin Tyler, who's eight, started crying and running in the same direction the animal was hopping. So I grabbed my little cousin's hand, he was sobbing uncontrollably, and ran as fast as my little stumpy legs could take me, following my cousin Tyler. We didn't stop running until we got home. I think it was, if anything, we scared the animal, and it was just hopping away, not chasing us. I don't know, we never looked back. It was terrifying, and they both remember this happening. I tried telling myself we saw a deer, but when I asked Tyler, he said he always tried telling himself it was a dog. Not sure. Who knows? Could just be three imaginative kids. Or maybe our memories got altered over time. Hard to say anymore. I hate the fact that it happened at a three-way crossroad. Because that's a common occurrence for things to ha happen to me. But I do believe it signifies something. Right. So we've covered Wendigos before in our uh, podcast. Um, they're mainly up by the Great Lakes. And when I say they're up by the Great Lakes, that's where their lore is from. Um, it's whenever it would get cold and food would get scarce up there. Um, whenever somebody would be like killed or eaten or something like that in the town, it was generally blamed on a Wendigo. Um, people would develop what's called Wendigo madness or psychosis um, up there and, you know, kill their entire families, you know, and eat them because food was so scarce. It was actually called Wendigo psychosis. <laughs> and when somebody had it in the town or the village or whatever, they would have to die. Like they would be executed by the town so that they didn't go and kill other people's families and eat them. So Wendigos, this doesn't sound like a Wendigo. This sounds like maybe they ran across another animal somewhere in the forest. Maybe it was a kangaroo. I don't know. But like, you know, sometimes people have exotic pets and they like let them free or whatever. But I digress. I don't know what it was either. It could have been a Wendigo. But based on the Wendigo lore, um, Wendigos have a craving for human flesh <laughs> so i doubt it was a wendigo but i wasn't there so who knows all right let's get to another story dun, dun, dun. all right this one is called ghosts or a haunted house it's a submitted story so i stayed in the rucker hotel in scotland last summer one night i woke at around 3 a.m needing the toilet and i immediately saw that what i can only describe as a shadowy silhouette standing across the room facing the television i got an overwhelming feeling of loneliness and i wasn't at all scared of the spirit himself which was definitely male just afraid of the whole experience i turned to the side to put the light on 
I looked back and the spirit was still there. By now, the spirit was looking at me. My boyfriend next to me awoke in confusion, but the spirit faded away. I've never ever seen any type of ghost or spirit before in my life, and I've always been spiritually minded, but definitely skeptical for the most part. Seeing things just never made sense to me, scientifically speaking. But all my friends, including my mother and grandmother, had experienced things, and I definitely believe in their honesty. But when I'm alone in bed in the dark, I'm pretty good at terrifying the life out of myself. So I definitely don't want to see it again. <laughs> Thank you for that story. Always love whenever my listeners submit stories to me. All right, let's take a short break and come right back after after this ad. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, welcome back. So thank you for waiting after that advertisement and break. Now I'm going to get into some of these stories from this book that I've been reading and I can't put down called 50 Real American Stories, American Ghost Stories, and it's written by MJ Wayland. Alright, so let's get right into it. The Ghost Clock of Boston. Wish I knew how to do a Boston accent. I would do it. But no. Y'all get a Georgia-Kentucky hybrid. Whatever my accent is. Alright. The Ghost Clock of Boston. A named, a named quaint coastal town in Massachusetts was once home to a strange phenomenon known as the ghost clock. In January 19, 1899, the Boston Transcript investigated the house and home of Mrs. Pittman from Reeds Hill, who owned an old clock, or at least the case of an old clock. In recent years, it had begun to tick. According to the Boston Transcript, even the most skeptical have been obliged to admit its existence and mysterious workings and to confess their inability to explain the power that controls it or to advance any reasonable theory upon the subject. It has been visited and examined by thousands during the past few years by clergymen, scientists, and others of learning and experience, and they have all come away satisfied that there is no delusion or trickery in what they witnessed and filled with wonder at what they had seen and heard. Could a simple clock case really astound scientists with its unusual phenomenon? The case was described as being simply a wooden case of an old-fashioned clock, and entirely destitute of works, and contained nothing but the coiled wire that once was part of the inner workings. The original owner was Mrs. Pittman's father, and to her recollection, the clock had no pendulum, pendulum or mechanism when it was in his ownership. For some reason, it was highly prized by her father and was always kept in an, on the mantle of a seldom occupied room on the second floor of his house. 
The Pittmans were church-going people and were not known for being spiritualists or believing in the paranormal. However, one evening, quite clearly, Miss Pittman heard the clock strike clearly and distinctly, as if in perfect order. When the stroke, when the stroke ceased, Miss Pittman turned to the father to express her surprise when the father said, It is striking for me. I'm going away. She laughed in disbelief, but old man Pittman added, I mean that I'm going, never to return. Strangely and very suddenly, a few days later, the old gentleman died. Mrs. Pittman scarcely thought of her father's words until one day the clock began to tick as if it were in full working order. She called for her brother, and together they stood silently, still listening to the monotonous tick-tock of the invisible pendulum with no explanation of what could cause the sounds, unbelieving that it was a portent of death, like his late father claimed, or that somehow his father's ghost may be responsible for manipulating the clock. The brother contacted several clockmakers to investigate the sounds. After weeks of investigations, the clockmakers could not explain the strange ticking within the case. Whether we are dealing with real contact with the dead in this case or not, Miss Pittman soon found that the clock would reply to questions that could be answered with a simple yes or no, and the responses were always sensible and accurate when predicting the future. The house was now open to visitors coming from far and wide to communicate with the alleged spirits while asking the clock for answers. The Boston Transcript reported, these answers would not only come would come not only for her benefit, but for that of others as well, so that many having consulted it through her, Miss Pittman's mediumship, if such it can be called, and always with satisfactory results. At times when visitors are musical, there will there will be heard a tinkling as if invisible fingers were picking on the wire, and upon one occasion there came to the astonished ears of a lady the opening notes of an air which had been the favorite of a recently deceased relative, or the aria, <laughs> spelled air. So was the clock a communication device to the dead, or was it merely infested with dead watch beetles famed for making the clicking noises, especially at night? Ooh, freaky freaky. <laughs> So, um, that one is weird for sure. Um, I would be, I would not have it in my house because honestly, I would be expecting it to chime like it did for my father. So that would be freaky in and of itself. All right. I will get into our next story. Three stories of hauntings. Oh, these names are going to kill me. <laughs> these names are horrible. Oh my gosh. Okay, here we go. Lippincott's Monthly Magazine was a popular periodical that ran from 1968 to 1915. It published original works from the authors such as Conan Doyle and Oscar Wilde, as well as reports from journalists across the United States. Most issues contained references to ghosts or paranormal activity. However... I have made selections. I have selected the following article for its incredibly weird ghost story. 
that really defy belief. Sometimes, as a paranormal historian, one discovers very strange stories that seem so unusual that surely they must be true. Well, I have to leave it to you to make the decision on these tales of the American weirdness from 1884. And here we go. In Lynn County of the state of Iowa, there lived about 40 years ago in 1844, a well-to-do farmer who we will call Mr. G. He was a Pennsylvanian by birth, but had married and reared a large family in Ohio. And when he immigrated to Iowa in about 1834, the only child remaining at home was a daughter born to the farmer and his wife late in life and just entering her teens when they moved to what was the far west. At the time of his occurrence, of this occurrence, I am about to relate, the daughter who is my informant was about 18 years of age. One evening in the early summer, the men and maids had gathered to milk the cows. The farmer stood nearby feeding pigs, and the daughter was helping the maids. Contrary to the usual custom, the cows had not been driven into their yard, but stood outside and near the public road, which was not, however, in those times much frequented. Suddenly, a noise, as a heavy wagon, furiously driven, broke upon the stillness, coming nearer and nearer, until the clattering of horse hooves and the rattling of the wheels could not be could be distinctly heard. Mr. G called out to the milkers, You'd better get out of the road. I expect a runaway is coming. And with that all they all withdrew to one side, though as yet nothing was to be seen. But there was no cessation of the noise, which approached with increasingly increasing velocity and was by this time almost abreast of the startled hearers. And now the dumb creatures began to show signs of unmistakable terror. The cows flung their heads high and, with piteous bellowing, rushed off into the surrounding woods, while the pigs tore around their enclosure, squealing in a most distracted manner. Only the human creatures stood their ground, while staring eyes which saw nothing and blanching cheeks that told their fear of this invisible presence. Having arrived at the part of the road opposite the fence, the the noise turned, passing through the fence, every rail of which seemed to fall, adding to the horrible confusion. Though to the eye of all that remained secure, transversed the cow yard, struck against the fence which constituted the pig pen, passing in so doing within a few feet of Mr. G, who staggered back and fell to the ground. And then, as if its mission were accomplished, it turned off abruptly, ran through another fence, and striking into an unused wood road, gradually died away. Meanwhile, attracted by the noise, Mrs. G came out of the house calling, What is the matter? Whose team is running away? When someone answered, they had seen nothing. She grew pale and exclaimed, which one of us does it mean? She was known to believe that her family always received some warning of approaching death, though neither her husband nor daughter shared in the superstition. As soon as she learned that the manifestation seemed directed especially against Mr. G, she at once made up her mind that it was he who would be taken. 
nor did her fears mislead her, as in ten days from that time the farmer who was missing, in, who was assisting in digging a well on his place, was overwhelmed by the earth caving in and died from his injuries that he received. Oof. So what do you guys think about uh, importance of death? The last two stories were about that. Like something predicting somebody's about to die. Do you think it's coincidence like that we put value to ourselves? Like we're, we're saying, oh, the clock chimed. That means I'm going to die. And then the guy dies. And so we're like, that is fact, you know? But is it superstition? And this they saw or they heard a runaway coach, but they didn't see anything. And it seemed to go right up to him, knocking over stuff, and then disappear. And then he died. So, I don't know. I like to live life believing in weird, crazy stuff. So, I like to think that it could happen. All right. This next one is a live spook. South Bend, Indiana once was the home of a very well-behaved spook that intrigued the whole state. On February 4th, 1846, the Monaquette Ruskiosko Republican discussed the ghost and its strange activities. The rumor that Mr. Colligard's large mill adjacent to town was haunted has attracted crowds and visitors around it for some time past. The entertainments generally consist of a sudden flashes of light through the mill, accompanied with loud noises, intended together to give a faint idea of ghosts, thunder, and lightning. Public opinion is rather divided as to whether the operator of a live ghost or live wag, but one evening recently we took a vote on the multitude who were assembled to witness the exciting scene, and a large majority decided it it to be a ghost and no mistake but very decent well-behaved spook as he neither groans talks nor exhibits himself in an awestruck to awestruck bystanders those desiring to witness the operation will please visit his headquarters soon as he will probably long go into winter quarters the performances will generally commence between 8 and 9 p.m every fair evening and the curtain will drop at exactly 11, unless the largeness of the company will justify its continuance till midnight. Hmm. <laughs> so they had a ghost that was on schedule with his performance. It's weird. <sighs> Some of this stuff, like, okay, so back in the day, just work with me here. Back in the day, like, everything was supernatural and everything was spiritual so it wouldn't be that hard for someone to fake some of this stuff so with that being said i'm all for it but just have to put that disclaimer out there <laughs> that it could definitely have been a planned hoax or whatever all right this is probably the last one i'm going to read from this story and then we'll take a short break Miss Warfield's Haunted House In Cincinnati on 5th Street once stood a brick house of three stories containing a storeroom and eight or ten large rooms. 
The widow, Miss Warfield, owned the property, which was constantly let to one tenant after another, often tenants changing within days of moving in. On September 22, 1852, the Times and Press of Ford Wayne reported a series of strange occurrences at the building, and when Mr. Edwards and his family took residence at the house, Edwards had only been in the house a few days when at about 10 o'clock, a noise similar to the discharge of a pistol was heard in an upper front room. However, on examination, no cause for the report could be found. No one shot anything. A few hours later, after the family and boarders had retired to bed, the inhabitants heard a succession of gunshots, as well as loud screams from the room of several young women boarders who were sleeping. The whole house was awakened, and several people rushed to the origin of the sound. As they rushed into the female boarder's room, the young women were discovered to be in absolute state of terror. They claimed the pistol shots were made at their bedside, and repeated that as if from a revolver. They also witnessed flashes of red light following each report. One girl was pale and senseless from the fright, and told reporters she had witnessed a tall, dark figure stooped over her pillow. On the following day at noon, another sharp shot was heard in the kitchen, and for several hours during the day, a noise was heard in the dining room, resembling the pawing of a horse and banging of a hammer. Mr. Edwards decided to seek another house for his family, and his boarders refused to sleep another night in the house. Unusually, it was Mrs. Warfield who also hit the headlines with her reaction to Mr. Edwards' claims. The Time and Press reported the following. The owner of the property threatens to sue the tenant for damages in giving the house the character of being haunted by circulating tales and leaving the place. While Mr. Edwards thinks the damages should be given to him, insomuch as he was not informed of the reports previously to his renting it, which he understands currently believed in the neighborhood regarding its ghosts. Not only was this matter taken has the matter taken this phase, but the present only has mattered, but the present lessee upon the same grounds demands the annulling of his contract so that all have been concerned in the building are asking reparation for their losses. The neighborhood of the house believed it to be haunted by the spirit of a murdered cop carpenter looking for revenge, while others believe it was a rich benefactor whose will had been destroyed with designs to defraud an orphan girl. The benefactor's ghost is believed to create noise, noises to bring the orphan's plight to people's attention. Whether Miss Warfield's claim was upheld in a court, we do not know, but based on the few references to the haunting of the Fifth Street house, there seems to be enough evidence that it was known for being haunted by a noisy, gun-firing poltergeist. All right, with that, we're going to take a short break and then get right back into the spooky stories right after this. All right, welcome back. Let's get right into another spooky story. Um, submitted by Chicky Nuggies on Reddit. Um, he said, the day I saw a demon or something unexplained. 
The events that will be dictated below are true events. I was only five or six at the time, although I kept in constant contact with my mother. I lived with my grandparents, you know, in a small, cozy, two-story rented mansion. There was a swimming pool and a, and a kiosk <laughs> that was perfect for my family to get together when friends, with friends on the weekends. It was one of those holiday days for a reason that I can't remember why. I was sad and went alone to the second floor towards my grandparents' room. There was a double bed, it was close and facing the door, and the window in turn was turned toward the pool. Anyway, the moment I entered the room, that's when it all started. As soon as I opened the door, I soon noticed that that being, he was face down outside the window. Supporting himself on his forearms, he looked like a child, a little bigger than me, with no skin, with exposed muscles. His face wore a white and very long smile, which was hideous. He kept a disturbing stare, you know, because of his position. I could only see from the waist up. I don't remember his hair. For a boy who until that moment had only seen his own blood seeping from a bruise, that scene was traumatizing. I was in shock for a few seconds. Luckily, I was not a horror movie kid, and at the slightest sign of movement from this creature, I ran as fast as I could without looking back towards uh, my family downstairs. Then when I got there, I told the whole story and pointed to the window where the humanoid demon or thing was because he was already gone. Obviously, no one believed me, but I was clearly scared, so they stopped. After that, you can imagine, I would never go up to the second floor again. However, I was a stupid and very curious child. A few hours later, when there were some people on that floor, I returned to spy on the room, but quickly felt a bad pre-feeling and went back cl close to someone else's presence. I never forgot that day, so I looked for explanations. The first one that took me seriously w when all this happened was my grandfather. He said that children, animals, and cameras have an easier time seeing spirits, and told me not to be worried. To complete, he called the apparition demon. That's why I always remember to this day is the day I saw a demon. It's not to say that's an actual demon. It could have just been something unexplained. Yet another explanation for this story, years later, I questioned my grandmother about how she managed to pay for the rent of this house because it was a mansion and the price was about average for a large regular house um she said it was because it was a haunted house i would leave it to you to draw your own conclusions thank you for reading my story Ooh, creepy very very creepy all right we're gonna get into a few places that are supernatural places around the world um, the first one is going to be Bolshoi Zayatsky Island in Russia. Who placed the stone labyrinths on this seemingly insignificant island, and for what purpose? Strewn along a tiny, desolate island in Russian's White Sea is a unique collection of structures dating from about 3000 BC. They include more than 30 stone labyrinths, stone barrows, and sanctuaries. Hundreds of piles of stones. 
and a stone symbol resembling a spoked wheel that is believed to represent the sun. The labyrinths clustered on the western part of the island are especially curious. Between 20 feet and 80 feet in diameter, they were formed with lines of boulders. The lines are twisted like spirals, and the entrance of each labyrinth is also its exit. Archaeologists have long pondered the significance of the labyrinths. Could they symbolize a shrine or sanctuary where ancient people prepared for the afterlife, or do they represent an actual boundary between earth and the underworld, a final stopping place before death? Were the labyrinths a channel in which specific rituals could help ease the soul of the dead into the underworld? In ancient Slavic myth, people worshipped the earth, sealed oaths by touching it, and confessed their sins into the earth before death. All rituals and prayers were performed in open air, and every rock and stone was sacred. Was this tiny island considered to be sacred repository of earth's energy? I don't know. Let's get into some UFO sightings. Um, or some ancient ones. <laughs> Aliens. Let me tell you. Alright. This first one is Nuremberg. Bavaria, Germany. The skies above this North German town turned into celestial battlefield one morning in 1561. As dawn rose over Nuremberg in April 14, 1561, local citizens woke to an inexplicable terror. Seemingly, the skies above the town flashed and rumbled and raged, not with storm clouds, but with objects. Thousands of solid crosses, rods, and spheres purportedly flew across the heavens. Many citizens thought the strange spectacle was an act of God, intended as a lesson to sinners. According to those who left witness accounts, the events of that morning lasted more than an hour. The contemporary artist Hans Glaser recorded the scene. His woodcut shows cylinders launching numerous blue and black spheres, red crosses, and flying discs. Large rods flew toward the sun, and several objects crashed to the earth, vanishing in a thick cloud of smoke. A local pamphleteer reported that the dreadful apparition, probably sent by God, had filled the morning sky with cylindrical shapes. From these shapes, which today might have been referred to as spaceships, emerged black, red, orange, blue, white spheres that darted erratically around the sky. He reported seeing a black, spear-like object slash through the clouds and darken the sky as the spectacle drew to a close. It seems that the battle in the sky ended as suddenly as it began, leaving the citizens of Nuremberg convinced they needed to repent of their sins. That is so cool. <laughs> Why have I never heard of this? So that was in 1561. You know, they saw pretty much like a sky battle. <laughs> of energy and shapes and stuff like that. But, I mean, even if, like, let's say time travel were real or something like that, um, our today technology would have appeared, like, shapes in the sky and, like, 
if it wasn't that, if it was alien, you know, seeing all those darting around objects, who knows? Who knows? But that's pretty cool either way. All right. Let's get into the Berwyn Mountains in Snowdonia, Wales. In the 1970s, the inhabitants of a remote Welsh village became convinced they had witnessed a UFO. On a cold, wet evening in January 1974, a violent earth tremor ripped through the Berwyn Mountains in the Snowdonia National Park, reaching 4.5 on the Richter scale. No one was sure if it was an earthquake or the force of an object from outer space hitting the planet. Some people suspected a meteorite had fallen to Earth, but not long after the tremor died down, unusual lights were seen in the sky. Rumors spread that a military aircraft or secret space rocket had crashed. Local residents later claimed their furniture moved, buildings vibrated, lights dimmed, and pets howled and co cowered under the table during the incident. Some witnesses reported seeing glowing red lights streak across the sky and then disappear into the atmosphere, as if an armada of spacecraft were chasing each other. One resident, Pat Evans, feared a terrible plane crash had occurred and volunteered to help find the site. As she made her way to the affected area, she saw a large glowing sphere pulsating in the distance, changing color from red to yellow to white, Later, she recalled seeing small white lights on either side of the object. As the rest of the track was inaccessible due to bad weather, Pat returned to the village just as the police search party arrived. They were later joined by military personnel and the area was declared a no-go while the wreckage was recovered. Rumors spread that alien bodies had been found and the British government had covered up the truth of a UFO crash landing. So there's always been this conspiracy that, like, the government is keeping aliens on lock. But, like, seriously, even with last year them releasing those UFO videos, like, stuff's so crazy right now. Like, there would not be mass hysteria. Like, there wouldn't be. We'd be like, yeah, cool. <laughs> so that's real. Awesome. <laughs> don't piss them off <laughs> or something, you know, like, I don't think it would be that big of a deal. So anyway, let me check the time. All right. Let's see. I'll do two more stories. Deckmont Woods, Livingston, Scotland. For many, an alleged close encounter between forestry worker and a giant sphere has the ring of truth. When forestry worker Robert Taylor parked his truck on a forest trail outside of M8 Highway one November morning in 1979, his mind was on the day's tasks. However, he walked up the heavily wooded slope with his dog and reached the top. He stopped dead in his tracks. In the clearing, he saw a, a dark spherical object made of rough metallic material with a band around the outside. It was about 20 feet across. As he moved cautiously forward to get a better view, he claimed two spiked spheres dropped from the object. About three feet wide 
and similar in appearance to mine's. They rolled towards him in unison, then stopped either side of his legs. His dog began to bark as the spikes hooked into his pants and pulled him towards the sphere. He remembers hearing a hissing sound and smelling an acrid but invisible gas that made him choke. The next thing he knew, he was regaining consciousness, face down on the grass with his dog nearby, his legs aching and his pants torn. The strange object had apparently disappeared from the clearing. He managed to crawl back to his truck, but it would not start, so he stumbled back to his home in Livingston on foot. Taylor later revisited the site with police. They found marks in the soil where he claimed that craft had been, and tracks from the spiked spheres. Although they found nothing else, many have viewed this eyewitness account from normally skeptical men as a true UFO encounter. Alright. Alright. Flatwoods, Braxton County, West Virginia. Of the many reports of aliens in the 1950s, America... The Flatwoods Monster is perhaps the most famous. On September 12, 1952, four boys were playing football at Flatwoods School, Braxton, when they saw a bright, fiery ball fall from the sky and land on a hill not far from the schools. The boys ran to the home of one of the boys and excitedly told his mother, Miss Kathleen May, what they had seen. The boys and the woman set off to investigate, accompanied by a family friend who was a member of the National Guard. As they approached the site, they could see a glowing, hissing object and smelled an acrid, metallic odor. According to the story they later told, they came upon a monstrous 15-foot being with red face, orange eyes that glowed, and green clothing that hung in great folds. They described the creature's body as humanoid, though other accounts record that the creature has no visible arms, while others describe it having stubby arms with claw-like fingers. As the creature floated towards them, the group fled. Their sighting was verified by other witnesses. They too had seen the fiery object crashing to the earth, not far from the school. When the police investigated the site, they found no physical evidence except for some track marks, which they attributed to a car. But they did smell the sickening odor that had been reported and detected an unusual heat in the air. After the incident, many people in the area became sick with respiratory problems and thought it to be caused by the acrid fumes or some kind of radiation. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Um, let's do one more. Let's find something. I wish there was another old, old story. That would be amazing. But most of these are from the 70s. All right, let's just do this one. Hangzhou province, or from the Zhangjing province, China. I know I'm saying those names wrong. <laughs> um, the An object in the sky over Hangzhou, Hangzhou, 
closed the airport and brought citizens onto the street. At about 8.40 p.m. on July 7, 2010, a flight crew was preparing for a descent into Hangzhou when they saw a UFO hovering in the skies over the airport. Passengers on the plane who had also spotted the object later stated it looked like a twinkling spot. Soon afterwards, air traffic control grounded outbound planes and diverted inbound flights to nearby airports. They closed the airport for over an hour. People who were stuck there later recalled a fearful silence around them as authorities tried to pass off the episode as a military flyover that had been badly timed. Residents of Hangzhou also noticed the strange going on in the sky in that day. In the afternoon, hours before the airport was closed, many people photographed a hovering object bathed in golden light with a comet-like tail. They recalled that it pulsated and moved in the sky and then suddenly disappeared without a trace. In the hour before the airport was closed, other witnesses claimed they saw flying objects emitted, emitting red and white beams of light toward the ground. One local resident was out on an evening stroll with his wife when they both saw a beam of light flash above their heads. Looking up, the couple saw streaks of bright white light flying across the sky, and they quickly took a photograph. To this day, no one is able to give a clear, convincing explanation of the event witnessed by so many citizens. Local authorities maintain that what the general public and the airport officials reporting seeing that day was probably just sunlight reflected from an aircraft. That's it for today's episode. The UFO stories came from what's called Supernatural Places, and it's from National Geographic um, by Sarah Bartlett. All right. Thanks for joining me today. I'd like to remind everybody of our upcoming April 16th uh, trip to Waverly Hills um, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we did change the date from a Saturday to a Friday um, due to availability. Um, and it is filling up fast. So if you are going to go with us, make sure that you get your ticket and meet there 15 minutes before it begins at 10 p.m. All right, if anybody would like to join our Facebook page, it is Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Spooky Shiz is in parentheses on the Facebook page. Um, feel free to invite your friends, post spooky memes, or post your actual stories um, on that outlet. All right, that's it for me. I'm your host, Chappie. And stay spooky, my friends.